middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. With Tommy Castor and Weston Mills, this is Keeper of the Games. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Keeper of the Games. We are the wildly underqualified yet mildly entertaining podcast all about sports in the air capital of Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. Along with Weston Mills, I'm Tommy Castor. It is Thanksgiving week, and because of that, we are dropping a new episode of Keeper of the Games a day early. You can call it your appetizer to your Thanksgiving Day dinner. And so before we dive into those mashed potatoes and the turkey, and the pumpkin pie. We've got some great sports talk for you here on Keeper of the Games. Weston, what's up, man? You ready for Thanksgiving? Yeah, absolutely. I guess we'll be watching uh, basketball instead of football. Well, I'll probably still watch plenty of football, but boy, KU basketball on Thanksgiving, that's going to be a little bit uh, different than in years past. Yeah, it really is. And it just sort of seems like, you know, I'm. we talked about it last week on the show. We're so not used to watching KU basketball on Thanksgiving day. Like we know that there's usually basketball that gets started, you know, the, the weekend of Thanksgiving, but, uh, on Thanksgiving day is usually reserved for NFL football games. But, um, I kind of like you, I think I'm going to have to take a break from watching those NFL games and check out some KU basketball. Yeah. I think we may have to go with the, even the dual TV setup. We'll, we'll have KU on the big one. Then I'll probably keep the football on, on the side. I, I just got to watch football on Thanksgiving. It's just, it just feels right. It does feel right. And what also feels right is that you and I are together doing another podcast episode, uh, even though it is the holidays. That's our that's our dedication. That's the sacrifice to our CogPod fans out there that we're here doing a new episode of the podcast when we could easily have, you know, called this week off phoned it in and said, you know what? It's a holiday week where we're not going to do a show, but damn it. Here we are doing another podcast. And not only that, we're dedicated enough to bring you a, a KU basketball expert right before the first game of the season. So, Tommy, we really are, you know, I hate to, you know, we don't toot our own horn very often, but you know what? Give it up to us for, for really putting this together right at the perfect time. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And uh, we'll we'll get to that interview here in just a moment or so. We'll tell you who we have here as our guest on this Thanksgiving week edition of Keeper of the Games uh, here in just a second. Before we get to that, I want to remind you to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode of the podcast, you'll get a notification. Uh, of course, you can listen to us anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. We're on Apple Podcast, uh, Google Podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, all of the major ones. Uh, you can listen to the podcast right there. Check out our website at cogsports.com where you can find archived episodes. You can watch videos uh, there on our website, kogsports.com. Uh, and you can watch full episodes on YouTube and Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's at kogpod. So last week, Weston, on the podcast, we were lucky enough and fortunate enough to have Aaliyah Funshell. Uh, she is with the website sportswithaaliyah.com. Uh, she's an insider. She's a blogger. She's a reporter. We had her on to talk all things Wichita State basketball. Uh, and that was just a, that was a great conversation on last week's episode. And we thought, how do we continue that? How do we bring on more insiders uh, to talk about the, the major college basketball programs in our state? 
So we were uh, so thrilled and and so excited to have the opportunity to talk to Gary Bedore. Uh, he's a longtime sports writer. Now he's with the Kansas City Star, uh, and he is, I guess, what you know, probably for lack of a better term, the biggest insider, in my opinion, at least, when it comes to KU basketball. At least one of them. He's in that upper echelon of of being inside that program, knowing the heartbeat and what's happening with Bill Self's crew uh, there in Lawrence. And so we reached out to him. He was gracious enough to appear on the show. And uh, so we're really looking forward to this conversation with Gary Bedore. So let's go to that right now. And we are pleased to welcome to the podcast, Gary Bedore from the Kansas City Star joining us here as we talk all things KU basketball. You know, Gary, it's first off, welcome to the show. Uh, before we get any further, really appreciate you being here. <laughs> Good to be here. Yes. Ready to go. Season starts Thursday. Absolutely. So. And, you know, it's it's hard to believe, Gary, that, um, you know, all the way back in March, it seems like so long ago that this season was cut short due to COVID-19. But here we are, like you mentioned, uh, the first KU basketball game kicks off uh, on uh, Thanksgiving. At least we hope so. Fingers crossed. Yeah. The number one team in America, the Gonzaga Bulldogs. So first things first, what are you hearing as far as uh, the status of the game right now? I mean, I, I know I saw that both Coach Self and Coach Few you at least today said that everything is good are you hearing anything yeah. different right now no i've just heard that uh they left about one o'clock today ku flew out there self yesterday said that uh everybody was going to make the trip so uh i guess there's a chance that you know the test results came in badly but uh we haven't heard anything negative yet KU did say that just like in football, they won't be saying if anybody has COVID until the game. And then they won't say it is COVID if they're not there, but um, you can deduce it. Football's lost several guys all year. They've lost some of their best players every single game. So as of today, there's been no negative words. And I assume Gonzaga went out there today too. So uh Hopefully, it won't get canceled, you know, tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but definitely. They do have an extra day there. They're supposed to all get tested before the game, so anything can happen. One Absolutely. test will cost – one test uh, neg- positive will will end the game, so on either team. <laughs> so yeah. you got to hope it's played. Yep, definitely. Fingers crossed that, uh, you know, for both Kansas and Gonzaga that they're able to yeah. get through the next couple of days with with no positive tests. Uh, obviously, the, it seems like the, the key for any team this season, not just the Jayhawks, is flexibility, you know, being able to sort of be on your toes when it comes to yeah. scheduling, when it comes to, you know, what, what the next couple months are going to look like, because nobody really exactly knows, you know, exactly what's going to happen, especially as we get into big 12 play. What are, what do you know about sort of that, uh, that flexible mindset uh, that the Jayhawks kind of have to have going into the season? Well, the problem is if you get a positive, you have to sit out the next 14 days as a team. So until they change that rule and the CDC supposedly this week is going to announce something to relax that a bit, because let's say they got a COVID, let's say that somebody comes down with it and they can't play and they return home tomorrow, they can't play for 14 more days. And that, which would wipe out three or four games. Uh, They've got a ton of games coming up. 
then, like Self says, you're not going to be ready to play right away after sitting out 14 days. So they've got to change that to where if somebody's positive, you have to test every day. And if everybody else is negative, you got to go ahead and play because there's a ton of teams that already, as you know, are already out. Rick Barnes came down with COVID. Scott Drew's got it. So they're just starting their 14-day quarantine as a team. If that 14-day thing hits you, you're going to lose a ton of games, and then you're not going to be ready when you come back because you can't practice. So uh, as far as flexibility, the Jayhawks are deep. So they've got a ton of perimeter players. And, uh, you know, in terms of bodies, they should be okay unless they have injuries too. But the problem is this 14-day quarantine. If, If there's one positive test, that includes coaches, managers, players. So, you know, I don't know. That's why everybody says the season's going to not work because too many teams are going to be out for 14 days and then be worthless for the next seven days. Yeah. Go go ahead, Weston. Gary, I was just going to jump in real quick. So you mentioned, um, you know, KU's deep this year, and I think this is probably a good segue, you know, into talking a little bit about the team. Um, You know, every year I feel like with, you know, with college basketball, you always have a new group of guys come in, and that's kind of the first thing you do as a fan. That first game you – you kind of you watch it and go, wait, who are you know who are these new faces? And we didn't get that with your normal Fort Hayes State game no. or Washburn game. So, what what new faces should uh, Jayhawk fans be expecting? You know, on the court this year. Well, Self has already said that he'll open with the four returnees: McCormack, Christian Brown, Ochai, and Marcus Garrett. So. Your fifth starter will be a guard. It'll either be Bryce Thompson or Tyon Grant Foster. Thompson was ranked 20th by rivals, McDonald's All-American. Self recruited him so hard, and he's from Oklahoma. I would expect he'll start because generally you you get a McDonald's All-American, you don't want to – you know, you got to worry about future recruiting classes. Right. You, Bryce, at least from the start, should be given a chance – now, that doesn't guarantee it because Self is real high on Grant Foster, who Tyon Grant Foster, who was one of the JUCO's best players last year. And Self said he's had incredible scoring sprees at practice. Gonzaga is usually good on offense, so he might, if, if Tyon is that good a scorer, he might want to, you know, maybe he'll beat out Bryce. But the other perimeter guys, you got Tristan Anaruna, who looked good at times last year. You got Jalen Wilson, who self-said has improved a ton. He was hurt last year, redshirt freshman. You got uh, Dewan Harris, who we haven't heard a lot about, um, at the backup point from Kansas City. He's a redshirt freshman. Uh, I'm Sure. Oh, uh, Jethro Muscadin is a seven-foot freshman, but he probably isn't ready to to beat out Mitch Lightfoot for the backup big man. So they've got a lot of freshmen and sophomores to go with Marcus Garrett, Mitch Lightfoot. Ochai is a junior now. So they're loaded on the perimeter with six or seven guys. 
they only have three bigs. Lightfoot is a pretty good uh, fill-in. He's going to have to do more than just be average, though, because David McCormack sometimes gets in foul trouble. Yeah. But you would think they're pretty deep at this moment. Gary, I want to talk uh, here in just a couple of minutes about your thoughts on both Devon Dotson and Yudoka Azabuki in the draft uh, last week. But obviously, those two standout performers are no longer with the Jayhawks. And you just talked about how there are only you know three big men on the, the roster this year for the Jayhawks. <laughs> Surely... Kansas will miss that presence of Big Doke down low. Uh, and, yeah. and obviously, you know, David McCormick is a, is a fine player, and Mitch Lightfoot always brings a lot of energy. But yeah. what are some of the things that uh, you, you, you think the Jayhawks will have to do to compensate for the fact that they don't have Udoka down low? Well, uh, he was so good on the lob. Dotson uh, found him quite a bit, but not as much as some of the other guys. That was one of the knocks entering the draft on Dotson, believe it or not, was that he didn't really get a ton of assists in college. But um, they're going to miss Doak's shot blocking. Uh, although McCormack, is get, he got better at that at, at the end of last year. McCormack supposedly can hit up to 12-foot jumper. So he'll be taking those, and Doak, Doak really couldn't do that. McCormack also can hit free throws, at least in the past he has. So Self is going to be banking on David to get the ball a lot and to score a lot. Um, If he gets two quick fouls, though, Mitch Mitch comes in, and Mitch, the guy's only 6'8 or so. A lot of schools like Creighton, you know, he he might be out there bombing threes, but he's a – it sounds like Bill wants him to be a five, which I'm sure he can do, but, you know, how good is Mitch compared to other top top program fives? Sure. So I'm sure he'll do fine, but we haven't heard a lot about Muscadin either. Self hasn't really talked about him much, and we can't go to practice, so I don't really know. No one's going to redshirt because you don't have to. You get an extra year of eligibility. The NCAA has given everybody another year. So there's no reason to redshirt anybody. So he will – I would assume he will throw Muscadin in there if – Sure. What if Mitch and David get in foul trouble? So, Or he could play five guards. Because, yeah. again, he's loaded at the guard. And Bill has fallen in love with the four-guard system – and if Muscadin's not ready and those two bigs get in foul trouble, it'll be five guards probably. If Muscadin is okay from the start, he'd probably throw him in there because he's seven foot. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, when you look at sort of the the lineups that Bill has thrown out on the court over the last couple of years, there, there were some moments, you know, over the last two years or so where you saw Bill playing two bigs. Um, Obviously, the four guard, you know, yeah. one big is really kind of where I think he, like you just said, he loves that system. Um, I, it, it would just be, it'd be crazy to, to watch five guards yeah. on the court playing for KU. It really would for, uh, for Bill. But if uh, Jalen Wilson and Tristan and Aruna are really good and they're better than Mitch and, you know, Muscadin, he might go with that because, uh, 
we don't know, you know, like you said, we don't get to see him play Washburn or anybody. So if these guys are really special, uh, he could play five guards. Because Jalen Wilson was a top 50 recruit. Uh, and Aruna, big-time programs wanted him. And uh, Tyon Grant Foster and Bryce Thompson allegedly are going to be two of the better players in the league in a year or so. So it should be interesting to see if he goes ever with five guards. So, Gary, who are we looking at? You know, and as we just talked about, they lost, you know, Doak and Dotson. Who, who's going to be the guy that we're looking at to, to go out and, you know, take the ball and, and score points? I mean, I think, yeah. you know, we've seen Ochai, you know, kind of do it at times. Yeah. Since he take that step. Marcus Garrett's obviously going to have the ball in his hands. And, um, or you know, or do we see one of the freshmen, like, like you said, you know, Tyon Grant Foster or, or Bryce yeah. Thompson supposed to be that guy? Do we, do we know who might be the guy this year for, for Kansas? I think it, as of now, without seeing him play much, it should be Ochai because they say Bill has said he's improved his deep shot. So if he could hit three threes a game or four, you know, he might be logical. Now, Garrett, the last couple of years with Graham, Devante, and uh, Dotson taking it to the hole like they do, and Marcus even did that a little last year. I'm sure he's going to do that, but how much of a score can Garrett be? We don't know. I think he averaged nine last year or a little less. But if Ochai can stick threes and hit, you know, get some offensive rebounds and stuff like that, on paper you would think it would be him because he averaged 10 last year, and you would think he could improve that. But – uh Christian Brown, yeah, from what everybody says, is really good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's see what happens with him. You know, but uh, I don't really know since this is a strange year with COVID and them having no exhibition games. It's it's probably going to be whoever is playing well at that time because Bill doesn't want to lose to Gonzaga, and you know if Tyon comes out and goes nuts and hits a couple threes. You know how Bill will play at 35 to 40 minutes if he has to, <laughs> yeah, he yeah, to win that game. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's just interesting how, you know, going back to that whole topic of no exhibition games and, you know, very yeah. little preparation on opponents. And it's, you know, there's just gotta be, it's gotta be difficult for not just KU, but for any team in America, yeah. you know, they, they, nobody really has any film on anybody, um, you know, and even guys like you, Gary, not really able to really watch the team a whole lot right now and, and scout them and get information on, you know, exactly how they're playing. So um, everybody's, it's kind of like the blind leading the blind, I guess yeah. started, right? Yeah. And uh, for the opener, uh, maybe it's good that Gonzaga is known more for offense than defense. Cause maybe it'll just be a shootout. And, but uh, we shall see. I, I think it'd be Bill would be thrilled if they could leave. They they have a game Friday too against St. Joseph. So yeah. to get two wins there and see what he's got. Can you imagine how much he's going to learn about his team in two games? Yeah, because one is against the number one ranked team, and then the next game's against a team that won six games last year. That's all. <laughs> so and then you play Kentucky on Tuesday. So. He might have to go with the most experienced guys if 
you know, to win. Mitch, Mitch is so experienced. He might be a security blanket for Bill. David, play him as much as he can, you know, if he stays out of foul trouble. Ochai, you know he's going to play 36 minutes. And Marcus will play the whole game probably. So if they can stay healthy. <laughs> but uh, on paper, the Jayhawks are ranked sixth. And uh, that's pretty good ranking, yeah. I would say. The, the goal for sure is to stay healthy, right? And to test negative uh, you yeah. know, as much as humanly possible. <laughs> Before we let you go, uh, Gary, uh, let's go back to the NBA draft. So Yudoka Azubuki drafted 27th by the Utah Jazz. And then Devon Dotson fell in, in the draft, didn't, yeah. wasn't drafted at all, signed by his hometown team, the Chicago Bulls, as an undrafted free agent. Were you surprised, number one, by where Dotson fell and then also the, the placement where Udoka was drafted by the Jazz. Yeah, I heard, had heard that Toronto might take Dotson at 29, and they did take a guard. I forget who they took. But uh, Toronto didn't even take him in the second round. So obviously the scouts ultimately decided that he's not the kind of guy you have to have on your team whether it's he's not a great shooter in college, although Devontae Graham improved his shooting a ton. Devon was not an incredible assist guy, but he was so fast, and he's listed at 6'2", which is good enough. So I figured everybody that had picked him mid-second round was probably right. Um he ended up going all the way through without getting picked. Somebody was saying that his agent told teams not to take him, but I don't know about that. I think judging from how disappointed he was, I think he, they didn't, in other words, they knew the bulls were going to sign him, which they did like 10 minutes after the draft. Yeah. And he, it's a perfect fit for Devon because the bulls need guards. So if he could pick a team, it would probably be the Bulls for that reason, not to mention he's from Chicago. But I was surprised because every mock draft had him mid-second or uh, early second. And then Doak, I have a, a couple scouts I know, and one guy really loved his game. But um, you kept hearing over and over that he's not meant to to be a modern NBA big. He his free throws are so bad, you know, that right. you'd think that it would keep him from getting picked. But um, I was happy because you stay four years, you dominate college, you know, why not take a guy like that if you're the NBA? You yeah. know, give him a shot. And they say after the first 20 picks or so, most of those guys aren't going to be stars anyway. So why not reward the college player of the year like, <laughs> Perry Ellis didn't get drafted and he, uh, you know, he was a great college player. Why couldn't somebody just bring him to camp as a second round pick? Right. Again, they don't really need all those picks. So uh, Doak's got it made. He gets a guaranteed contract. So he'll be around for <clears throat> at least one contract. And then Dotson, he gets paid. I don't know what the uh, two-way players make, but it's going to be good money for him. So, 
Hopefully they'll both make it. KU's had a lot of draftees lately that Frank Mason's a free agent now. So it'll be interesting to see who wants him. The knock is he's not tall enough, I guess, 5'11". Yeah. Even though he's MVP of the G League, the Bucks made him a uh, unrestricted free agent. So anybody can sign Frank. Right. Devontae's set with the Hornets. They love him, so. Yeah. Marcus Morris just signed a, was a five-year, yeah. $65 million contract. Yeah, he got one of those Scott Pollard-type deals. <laughs> Pollard got that, and Ostertag got one of those back in the day. But uh, Marcus has a, you know, wow, for for a kind of a role player even, Marcus. Yeah. Is, but a lot of people were saying he's a good guy to have around because – you know how ornery is in the playoffs. And <laughs> he'll guard the other team's best forward. Right, yeah. right. Hey, and to I, get to stay, stay in town with his brother, too. That's, yeah. that's nice. That's yeah. Really... Yeah, Markeith. Those two, you know, they're so close. Yeah. So That's you great. Do need, it probably helps to have those guys together because Marcus has a short fuse. <laughs> they kind of uh, calm each other down a little bit, I guess, is – what, what I've always what I've always heard. Hey, I always uh, I'm not sure that I've seen a player um, transform himself and his game from his freshman year to his senior year quite like Yudoka Azabuki did. I mean, just from watching yeah. him as a freshman and just he was he was a big body, but he was so limited in, in what he could do, and especially you know he kind of had just that that lob. I mean, that was pretty much all that he had. Yeah. And just you know, developing into the player that he became, you know, his his senior year, and then getting drafted in the first round, um, I would imagine that you know, not just you know, Coach Self, but the entire coaching staff, the you know, strength uh, coach, all of that, yeah. you know, they've got to be pretty proud of that development from Udoka during his time in Lawrence. Yeah, and you would you would think it would help recruit other big men that are you know not on the top of the world in high school yet that they can develop you. Yep. Because, uh, Is there any talk that Jethro might be taking that same development path that, that Udoka took or is he a different player altogether? Uh, I don't really know about his game yet, but he's, I think he's a shot blocker too. Yeah. And he's the he's films big. I've seen of him. He's pretty good. Um, but, uh, I don't think he averaged a great point total in high school. He went to a school in Louisville last year and averaged, I think, low low double figures points. Mm. But at late night, he looked good. I thought he he looked like he belonged. Yeah. So. Well, absolutely. Gary, I I'm guessing – I would have redshirted him if, if uh, they – you know, this year, again, you don't need to right. redshirt Right. Like yep. Marcus Garrett could come back next year if he wanted to because nobody's year counts this year. That's awesome. That'd be pretty That's crazy if, uh, if Garrett was back for sure. Um, I'm assuming right now you're not in Fort Myers, right? No. Are you going to – do you get to go to the, any of the games and watch them play, or how does that work with COVID right now? Uh, well, the company won't allow any travel, so no road games right now. Gotcha. For us, home games, KU's going to allow 10 media. And uh, we've got two guys to cover the team. So I don't know if we'll trade off or what's going to happen. Because uh, 
the first two games have no fans now. Right. Decided, and I don't know if they'll stick to that 10 media or add to it or because normally KU will have 40 or 50 media there. So we don't really know about home games, but right now no travel and uh, you know, it's, there's no fans at the game against Kentucky, I believe. They're going to let in a couple hundred fans for the Gonzaga game. But not one uh, outlet that covers KU is going to Florida. I know that. That's just crazy to think that you've got the number one team in America and the number six team in America on Thanksgiving <laughs> Day in Fort Myers, Florida, and there's not a single media outlet that can cover it because of just the world that, that we're in right now. Yeah. Do you think I – mean, I mean, obviously, you don't they have, have Zoom calls. calls. They have Zoom calls. You can't predict what's going to happen. We have no idea, but um, – just this is kind of a situation where you just got to take it one day at a time, one game yeah. at a time, you know, and just see what ends up happening. And hopefully by the time, you know, we get to big 12 play and then you yeah. know, deeper into, into the conference and into March madness that, you know, hopefully we have a, what resembles a normal season, I guess. Yeah. Cause even if we were out in Florida, we don't even know if they're going to play for sure. When, uh, right. Thursday. <laughs> right. I mean, could get caught. Wichita State went to their tournament, yeah, yeah. I believe, and had to turn around and come back. Yep. So, yep. Well, it, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting world that we're in right now, and um, you know, obviously, we'll just take it, like I said, a game at a time, yeah. and, and hopefully, as of right now, as of this recording, the Jayhawks are scheduled to play the Gonzaga Bulldogs on Thanksgiving Day at twelve thirty uh, in the Rocket Mortgage Fort Myers tip-off, so you can enjoy a little bit of turkey and and stuffing and watch yeah. some KU basketball at the same time. Gary, we really appreciate you being on the podcast. Um, hopefully, m- maybe you can come back. Maybe we get a little bit later on in the season yeah you know we can uh, we can do this again and talk more KU hoops if that's good with you sure and uh let's hope that they have another good year because anything can happen as you know (laughs) as the football team has proven uh, (laughs) hard enough for KU but to be without four or five of their best players every game yeah yeah they've had no chance well hopefully we uh we have a more positive KU basketball season than we've had KU football season. I'm sure that that's not going to be difficult to do, but uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed on all of that. It's Gary Bedore from the Kansas City Star joining us here on Keeper of the Games. Thanks. That was Gary Bedore and Tommy. That was the perfect segment to have Gary Bedore, KU insider extraordinaire, like we mentioned on right before they play Gonzaga. A ton of information he gave to us there. What was your biggest takeaway from Gary? Well, I think the biggest thing, Weston, is just, you know, the the amount of flexibility that's going to have to happen from the Jayhawks and their opponents and the entire college basketball world. I mean, just the, the fact that one negative test from anybody in the program will shut down a game. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be uh, difficult to get through an entire season without a shutdown for sure. Um, and I think it's going to be important for Jayhawk fans and for not just Jayhawk fans, but college basketball fans in general to just be patient, you know, and to just yeah. understand that this is not normal and doing it this way is still better than the alternative of not having games at all. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. And that you're right. I mean, that was news to me. I actually, you know, I feel like I've kind of pushed what was going on with college basketball side with everything going on in the football world. 
Um, and I didn't know that that's the protocol that they were you know, going to be by. So it was kind of, uh, you know, nice to have Gary explain that to us in, in here. And, you know, and I think for me, one of the things I, I really took away from, from his, uh, you know, our time with him was some of the new faces that we're going to see. I, I think, uh, Tyon Grant Foster is someone, it's a name that, you know, I don't think it made a big splash in the recruiting. I don't know if a lot of KU fans now he is from, he's from Kansas city, Kansas. So a lot of folks up here in Kansas city may know the name already. Um, but you know, that's a name that you're going to see, I think right off the bat from KU. And so it was kind of nice to get to, to hear a little bit of those names. I think, you know, everybody knows Bryce Thompson, but, um, to hear Tyon, you know, hear a little bit about Tyon Grant Foster right off the bat was, was good to know. I'm really excited to watch Bryce Thompson play. I mean, he's a highly recruited, highly regarded uh, player coming in for the Jayhawks. And on top of that, I'm I'm excited to see the development of some guys that have a lot of potential. Ochai Abaji is a, a player that I think that um, all Jayhawk fans have wanted more out of him. They see his physique. They see the way they see what he could be and they see flashes of it. Uh, but uh, they haven't gotten the full the full experience yet from Ochai. And so I'm hopeful that, uh, as Gary mentioned, that his development has, you know, continued to to grow. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm optimistic that uh, he'll be a major contributor for uh, the Jayhawks this season. And then finally, I'm really interested to see Marcus Garrett handling the points. Um, you know, we saw him do that a little bit last season, like when Devon Dotson would go to the bench, you know, or was in foul trouble or something. But, um, you know, to, to see that floor general position be Marcus Garrett's job going into this season, um, you know, I think you I think we're in for a treat watching that as the season progresses. Yeah. And there's in my mind, there's no doubt that Marcus Garrett at the one is the best fit for him. Uh, it creates, you know, that opportunity where defenses can no longer sag off him or help off of him, you know, because he does struggle shooting the ball when he has the ball in his hands, they have no choice, but to be on ball and defending him, which then I think opens up everything for everyone else. So I think it's a great fit for him. And I think it really could, um, you know, open up this offense to see a lot of scoring from a lot of different guys, as opposed to where we've kind of seen in the past, you know, Dotson and Doe kind of took all the scoring, I think you're going to see a lot of balance, a lot of, you know, I think you could see five guys in double digits every night, but no one higher than 15, you know, on any yeah. given night, kind of in in that range. So, and, you know, Marcus Garrett had the opportunity last season and you know, pretty much his entire Jayhawk mm-hmm. career. Um, you know, he, what he was known for was turning defense into offense, right. And, 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 and having great defensive plays result in points scored for KU. He's going to have the opportunity now to be the facilitator, um, on both ends of the court and turn offense into more offense, uh, as the point guard. So, uh, just a, a lot to look forward to and, and hopefully fingers crossed, we have a game on Thursday, uh, against Gonzaga, uh, which will be on Fox at 12.30 p.m. Uh, it's the Rocket Mortgage Fort Myers tip-off KU against the number one team in America, the Gonzaga Bulldogs. We're going to stay on college basketball now. Uh, and, and just very quickly before we get into this, just one more time, thank you to Gary Bedore from Absolutely. the Kansas City Star for coming on the podcast and taking some time out uh, to, to share his knowledge and wisdom uh, about KU basketball. So just again, a big thanks to Gary. But again, we're going to stay in college basketball and talk about Wichita State University. Gary actually mentioned this uh, in our interview with him and alluded to it, brought it up that Wichita State 
They're not playing in the tournament that they were scheduled to play in this coming weekend. They're going to have to wait at least another week to play basketball. They pulled out of the Bad Boy Mowers crossover classic in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It comes after, uh, from what Wichita State Athletics says, are multiple positive COVID-19 tests within the tr- the team travel party. The Shockers had already traveled to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. They were already there, and now they're traveling back to Wichita without even playing a game. Weston, this is something that we're going to continue to see, I think, at least for the time being in college basketball, but definitely um, a bummer uh, for Shocker fans that they're not going to get a chance to watch the Shockers play in this opening tournament, but it's kind of the reality that we're in right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, Gary kind of touched on it. It probably is going to create a mess mess this season. So, I don't, you know, and there's not a whole lot more to say, at least on that note, because, you know, he's right. It's spot on. I mean, there's going to be a mess and there's not a whole lot that can be done about it right now um, until they change those guidelines. But, you know, I think for, for the Shockers, it's a disappointment for fans but do you think it's kind of a relief for for Isaac Brown and his guys as, you know, with the big transition and everything that happened to just kind of catch their breaths and get, you know, an extra week of practice before they actually have to take on an opponent? I, I think it may be beneficial in the long run that the Shockers missed out here. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I think that the I mean, the official position is going to be we're disappointed. You know, it is what it is. We're taking all the safety precautions. Um, our kids are probably bummed that they can't play in this tournament, but I think you're probably right that deep down and behind the scenes, you're probably seeing a little bit of relief, a little bit of, okay, we get a chance to get healthy. Um, you know, let's hope that this hasn't spread among the entire team. And hopefully there aren't more delays to the start of the season for the shockers, but who knows? Um, you know, we saw that happen, um, you know, with, with a couple of teams where, you know, just recently where, you know, they were, they pulled out of their opening game and then all of a sudden they weren't going to be able to play, you know, uh, next week or the week after that, you know, because right. the, the COVID cases were spread, were, were spreading like they were. So hopefully that's not the case for Wichita state and they'll be able to get back on schedule, um, after this opening weekend tournament. But, you know, they were, I think the, the worst part about it is that they had already traveled there, right? They were yeah. already there. They were ready to play. And then they have to get right back on the bus and go back home and try to find a way to, I guess, separate those who had positive tests from those who don't have positive tests and get them home safely in a separate way. Um, it's got to be a little bit of a logistical nightmare, I would think, to get back home. Yeah. And and that's, I mean, really, you know, I talk about having that extra time to practice, but that, I mean, I think just the time and commitment they put in getting there, you know, obviously that's going to be a disappointment for everybody. But again, you know, this is this is the first time it's happening. It's probably not going to be the last time it happens. Um, whether it's, whether it's them actually going and they're the team that tests a positive or they have an opponent coming in to Wichita to play that then has to cancel because, you know, they tested positive. I mean, it, it's the first time, but it's, it's not going to be the last. So, you know, I think it's something that every, everybody's just going to have to adjust to. Yeah. So as of now, the remaining non-conference schedule is still in place. Uh, and, and it looks like it's still planning to be played as of right now for Wichita State. The home opener is set for next Wednesday, December 2nd against Oral Roberts. Then they play Missouri at home uh, at Coke Arena on December 6th. And then they wrap up the regular season schedule on December 12th at home against Oklahoma State. The other thing to keep in mind is that that's the non-conference schedule right there for Wichita State, right? Yeah. Um, 
you know, so you're looking at three games outside of this tournament that was supposed to happen this weekend for the Shockers. They're going to get three non-conference games, hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, before the American schedule sets in, which is not going to be an easy schedule. It's not going to be a walk in the park for Wichita State. So while I think the Shockers are probably grateful for the extra time in practice, they're not going to get a whole lot of non-conference opponents to play before they start their conference play. Yeah, it just makes conference play that much more important. And, and especially, you know, I mean, <laughs> they've got to be, you know, one of the top probably three teams in the American, maybe top four. I mean, obviously we'll see how the season shakes down, but, um, you know, if they want to get into the tournament. So that's kind of where you're looking. And obviously for them, a goal will be to to win the American, which automatically gets you in. But, um, you know, you really, really got to play everybody tough and, and, and win a whole lot of games in the American if, if you're going to, you know, get that bid. Yeah, I, I, the Shockers were picked, I think, middle of the road in the American in the preseason polls. I want to say they were picked sixth or seventh, uh, something like that. But, you know, again, who knows? Like we were talking about, you know, with, with Gary, uh, the, nobody really has any idea how these teams are going to actually perform. It's been so long uh, since we've seen college basketball. They do kick off their American schedule on the 15th of uh, December against uh, rival Tulsa. That's how they start uh, the, the American uh, conference season, more Wichita state news, which is, uh, you know, something that is really interesting that I want to get your thoughts on Weston. Isaac Brown announced that he rounded out his assistant coaches with Billy Kennedy coming in to be a new assistant coach on Isaac Brown's staff for the shockers. Of course, Billy Kennedy is the former head coach of Texas A&M a coincidentally, he replaced Mark Turgeon as the Aggies head coach when Turgeon left to go to Maryland several years ago. Now, Billy Kennedy is Isaac Brown's assistant in Wichita. I, I think the, I think this is a great move considering Isaac Brown is, you know, not an experienced head coach to bring on somebody like Billy Kennedy, who has many, many years of D one head coaching experience to be on the bench next to him. Um, and I think that that's about as good of a get that you can get to be on your staff a week before the season starts. Your thoughts on Billy Kennedy, now an assistant coach for the Shockers. Yeah, so I actually think that I think that speaks volumes to Isaac Brown to kind of set his ego aside and say, hey, I'm, I'm fine with hiring an assistant coach that has, you know, much more experience than me. Um, you know, because I know that I'm new here as a head coach and I, I'd love to have someone sitting right there beside me, you know, that's been through X, Y, and Z and that he can bounce that off to. And obviously I think they had uh, their relationship goes back to Isaac Brown playing at A&M when Billy Kennedy was a, a grad assistant at A&M or an assistant coach. I, I'm actually not sure, probably an assistant coach. I'm thinking just based on the age. Um, so that's, I think the relationship goes back to that, but I think very savvy move by Isaac Brown to, you know, extend that out to, to such a veteran head coach. So what do you think the odds are? And, and I'm sure that it's, this is something that shocker fans I'm guessing have probably already thought about. It's obviously not something that will be discussed anytime soon, but what do you think the odds are that Billy Kennedy ends up the head coach at Wichita State? And after this season with Isaac Brown as the interim, they just swap places and Isaac Brown stays on Billy Kennedy's staff. I say slim to none. That really? Just a, that's just a gut reaction. I just don't. I mean, it sounds like to me this is Isaac Brown's hire. Um, and I do feel like Wichita State could get at least get a, I'm not saying a better 
coach because I'm not saying Billy Kennedy is a bad coach, but get a bigger name than Billy Kennedy if they want to go the route other than, you know, their assistant coach that they've already put in the interim spot that it seems like a lot of the players really love. I think it's going to be Isaac Brown or a big name, you know, relative, of course, relative big name. So this could very easily be just a one-year stint for Billy Kennedy in Wichita. I mean, I can't imagine if what you're saying ends up happening and a bigger name comes in after the season. Yeah. It'd be hard for me to think that Billy Kennedy would remain on the staff you know, uh, for somebody else other than Isaac Brown. So I think it, you're either looking at you know, if it's Isaac Brown or if it's Billy Kennedy, if it stays in that group, then you'll see him back. If it's somebody else, I can't imagine that either one of those guys uh, will stay in Wichita, would just be my thought. But at the end of the day, uh, I think this is an awesome hire uh, to have somebody with the experience like Billy Kennedy on the bench. And just knowing just from what everything we've heard about Isaac Brown, I, I would be shocked if Brown doesn't consult with Billy Kennedy on different things related to being the head coach during the course of the season. How do you do X, Y, and Z? How does this work as a, as the head coach, having that counsel from a guy like Billy Kennedy, I think will be invaluable for Isaac. Yeah. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. Anytime you're in your, a lot of coaches don't get their first head coaching opportunity at a program, uh, you know, of the caliber of Wichita state, you know, usually they're, Uh, you know, coming from a smaller program first into that driver's seat where, you know, Isaac Brown went from, you know, being the right-hand man to Greg Marshall to then in the driver's seat with none of that kind of small college basketball experience in between. So having Billy Kennedy there to ask whatever question behind closed doors, um, you know, I think is going to be invaluable for Isaac Brown and really help this Shocker basketball team. Yeah, from what I read, apparently Isaac Brown texted Billy Kennedy, seeing if he would have any interest. Uh, Kennedy said yes, and uh, he was driving to Wichita on Sunday to sign the contract with his family and then loaded up with the team to go to Sioux Falls on Monday and now is heading back to Wichita after they had to pull out of that tournament. So that will give Billy Kennedy a little bit more time to get acquainted with the players, figure out the you know the, the way that the program works and, and all of that. So um, we'll give him a little bit more time, I guess, to get his feet wet in the Wichita State program. Our final topic that is related to Wichita State basketball, uh, it, we absolutely cannot ignore this and we don't want to. We absolutely want to talk about this. Congratulations to Fred Van Vliet uh, and the contract that he signed with the Toronto Raptors. It's the largest contract ever signed ever signed by an undrafted player in NBA history. Four years, $85 million for Fred Van Vliet. Uh, just absolutely incredible. And congratulations to Fred. That's awesome. That man better than himself and he cashed in. So I'll, I'll tell you what, though, I was kind of I'm not I don't really have an NBA team per se, but I kind of was rooting for him to go to go to the Knicks. You know, I, I, I'm kind of I think the NBA is fun when the Knicks are relevant. The, you know, Madison Square Garden has such a history um, and I think they do have some young talent there. So I, I kind of wanted to see him go there. Uh, maybe it's just the, the the red-blooded American in me. I don't want him to be in Canada. I want him over here in the States. But, uh, but <laughs> well, he, you know, they will be. They will be because the Raptors won't play in Toronto this year. That's true, but they're also not going to play in Kansas City like we made a right. bid for. Um, so the Toronto Raptors are dead to me with the exceptions of Fred Van Vliet <laughs> now that they're playing in Tampa instead. 
you know, uh, Van Vliet is going to have um, higher expectations. Um, That's just a given with that contract that he signed. Um, But I think he can handle that. And and especially considering, um, you know, just what I know about the way that Toronto Raptors roster is built with Van Vliet out there. You know, Kyle Lowry is getting up there in age. And so it's going to be up to Fred Van Vliet especially now with this contract to be the top playmaker for Toronto, to be the guy that pretty much leads that squad, uh, especially in the backcourt. And so, uh, yeah, he's got his expectations. He's got his contract, but like you said at the very beginning, he has made his entire career off of betting on himself and he's, done a great job at that. He did that at Wichita State, and now he's doing it with Toronto. So I couldn't be happier for the guy. It's crazy to me that, I I think we all knew how talented he was, but it's just crazy for me to think that this guy played in Wichita his entire college career and is now a legitimate star in the NBA. It's just, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it seems just seems like a good dude, and, and he's always kind of had that ice in his veins mentality. So stepping into one of the big playmaker roles, they do have Pascal Siakam there. So, I mean, I think it's kind of that's what they're looking for the future of Toronto to be is Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam uh, as that kind of one, one-two duo as, like you mentioned, Kyle Lowry transitioning out. So uh, congratulations to, to the man. Fred Van Vliet uh, deserves you know everything he, that he that is coming his way. And it's a a great reminder that if you're ever trying to do something, ever trying to accomplish something, bet on yourself, do whatever it takes to to make that happen. And and, uh, he's been an inspiration for a lot of people, at least here locally. And and so uh, our hats off go, uh, our hats go off to Fred Van Vliet and that contract uh, that he signed with the Raptors. Let's get into some NFL news. We're talking the Kansas City Chiefs coming off their primetime nail biter victory against the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday night. Final score, 35-31. You and I, Weston, I think um, I think we owe a couple of apologies here on this show, and we'll start with this game. Um, you said the Chiefs were going to hang 56 on the Raiders I said last that. week. It's true. I said that the Chiefs were going to win by three touchdowns. Yep. Um, neither one of those things happened. Um you know, we're, and I had to point out, we are not one of those shows where we're just going to pretend like what we said never happened. Like, I think it's important that we own up to our mistakes. We own up to what we say when it's wrong. And uh, in this regard, it, we were wrong and the Raiders played pretty good. Actually, they played really good on Sunday night against the Chiefs. Uh, where do you want to start? What do you what were your thoughts on that primetime game? Yeah, so uh, first, uh, in regards to my prediction, uh, just know, you know, I truly did think like I wasn't trying to get shock value or, you know, and maybe it was in part I was riled up with all the, you know, the bus talk (laughs) throughout the week. But I really did feel like, you know, with with the, the status of the Raiders defense. Um, you know, and just kind of that extra motivation the Chiefs had. I thought there was going to be a lot of points on the board. And really, if you watch that first half, both offenses um, produced at an at that at that level that scores a ton of points. In the sense that very little mistakes were being made being made by other either offense. It's just that they were coming in small clips, right? So, you know, I think the first four possessions there were four scores because t- the both teams were being so. Um, you know, so efficient, just kind of moving the ball down the field. Well, then, you know, we're coming up on the half being over. So 
you know, I think that kind of stymied some of the points by that, you know, maybe more efficient, methodical passing game than what you normally see out of the Chiefs or the Raiders. Um, but as far as my takeaway, you know, you're right. The Raiders are a, a good football team. But my biggest concern right now for the Kansas City Chiefs is their pass rush. I think I talked at the very beginning of the season, you know, I, I may have said on this podcast, I'm almost positive that I did, that I felt like Frank Clark and Chris Jones could be as good a duo as Derek Thomas and Neil Smith. I feel more terrible for saying that than saying the Chiefs are going to score 56 because I have been dead wrong <laughs> about that. And it's frustrating because you know that both of those players have the ability, they have the talent to do that, to produce at that level. And it's different when you have two defensive linemen that you're expecting to produce because offenses can't really scheme around that as much as, you know, when you have, if you just had a Frank Clark, or I think of JJ Watt a lot, you know, the numbers aren't always there because it's one defensive lineman and you can scheme for that. You can double team, you can chip, you can run, roll, roll the quarterback out the opposite way. When you have two defensive linemen that often line up, you know, opposite of each other, it's a lot harder for teams to do that, and we're just not getting there anyways. And if the teams, if the offensive line of, of these other teams are focused on Chris Jones and Frank Clark, why are we not seeing anything out of out of Tano Passanio? Why are we not seeing more out of Derek Nandi? We've seen, you know, Tershawn Wharton's kind of stepped up, um, and I'd like to see some more of him. He's kind of got that energy, that motor that you're you're just looking for out of somebody on the defensive line to get these guys going. Well, and, and on the edge, where's Willie Gay, you know, and he, you know, he's doing a little bit here and there, but really without Taco Charlton, that really only leaves Frank Clark to, to come around on the edge. I mean, I know you're talking about, you know, defensive linemen, but there just really isn't a whole lot of weapons out there able to put that rush on. Uh, I don't know if you saw the stat or, or not that uh, for the game on against the Raiders, the Chiefs got one hit on Derek Carr the entire night. One. There were zero sacks. Um, that's just that's unlike the Chiefs, right? That's just not like what we're used to seeing over the years from this Kansas City squad, where they're just not able to get hardly any pressure on the quarterback. Well, and it's not like Steve Spagnolia either, because he's one that brings pressure. So, yeah. you know, you, you mentioned Willie Gay, you, you know, you mentioned um, you know, even you know, Damian Wilson or any of those guys, you know, coming up through the middle. Um, you know, that's got to be designed because when you play a four three, like Willie Gay is not going to rush the passer unless a stunt is on from Steve Spagnolia. Um, so, you know, it's kind of odd that you in really tiring, you know, that's another guy from the safety position that you you've seen in the past. Steve Spagnolia really bring him, you know, from the safety position into the backfield and you're just not seeing that. And that's where I don't know, you know, is there something that they saw? that made them feel like they couldn't play man coverage to the Raiders? Did, were they that worried about getting beaten by Nelson Aguilar and Henry Ruggs that they just yeah. felt like they couldn't leave their corners on an island? And that was, that was so shocking to me because when I think of elite wide receivers, I don't think of Nelson Aguilar, Henry Ruggs, and Hunter Renfro. Um, no. you know, I think Darren Waller is an okay tight end. In fact, I think he's probably above average as a tight end. Um, but they, they just, and again, I, you're the expert. I'm not when it comes to defensive schemes and things like that, but it just, I felt like 
all night long, the Chiefs were sitting back in the soft zone and just getting carved up over and over and over again by wide open receivers. And a lot of it was long developing plays. A lot of it was Derek Carr having a lot of time in the pocket. Uh, and just, you know, these receivers were wide open by 10 yards or more. Like nobody was around them. Yeah. Um, it, it almost to me, uh, I watched that defensive effort and I wasn't thinking Steve Spagnola. I was thinking Bob Sutton. That's what it felt like to me as I was watching the Chiefs on defense. It was the first time I even tweeted this. It The game on Sunday was the first time since the, a, the 2018 AFC championship game against the Patriots where I was genuinely scared when the when the Raiders got the ball back when the other team got the ball I'm like the Chiefs can't stop them there's nothing that they've been able to do all night to stop Derek Carr and the offense of Las Vegas and uh, that's concerning to me especially moving forward yeah and you know I, I will say though you know I think the Raiders do present a kind of a unique problem for the Chiefs defense because you know Darren Waller I mean he is tied in number three in this league it, it's you know Kittle and and Kelsey obviously and then Darren Waller and I think those three separate themselves from every other tight end in this league and he does create that problem where you know you're not often focusing so much on tight ends um, where you have to concern concern more than one or two defenders you know uh, about what Darren Waller is doing and then when they do have like like you said look Henry Ruggs Nelson Aguilar they're not elite wide receivers but they do have elite speed so I think that does actually what they what the Raiders have, and then with the run game with Josh Jacobs, they they actually kind of do create a unique problem, um, particularly for the Chiefs. But the the thing is, the way to beat any team is creating pressure from your front four. When you don't have to bring a linebacker or a safety, you don't have to call those stunts. That is just so much more helpful for your secondary. So so your front four have to be able to get to the quarterback, and that's how we've gotten beat is when other teams front four gets to the quarterback. So that's, I think why I'm so disappointed in really that the defensive line and, and particularly Chris Jones and, and Frank Clark, just, they just flat out have to do better. And they had, they had good moments, but they're getting paid way too much just to have moments. Like th- those two need to be dominant all game. Well, and you know, Chris Jones also had a, a pretty key offsides penalty at one point, Yeah, you know, during the game where he was lined up. I mean, it was like a D Ford moment all over yeah. again. He was just lined up offsides. And, you know, when you're, when you sign that huge contract, when you become one of the cornerstones of this franchise, you can't do things like that. Like you can have an off game. You cannot have, you cannot be at your best. And, and that's, that's all right. Like I get that, but little things like that, like lining up offsides, that was a critical penalty that I don't exactly remember where that was in the gameplay, but I remember it was mm-hmm. like a third Towards down or like that uh-huh. you know, where it was it was a crucial moment uh where the chiefs could have gotten the ball back and instead it extended the drive for the raiders so uh yeah you've got to be better than that if you're chris jones you've got to be able to perform uh at a higher level uh and especially moving forward i can't imagine that anybody on that defense was was thrilled about their performance uh, on sunday night against the raiders they've got to shore it up because this Sunday, they're on the road in Tampa. They're taking on Tom Brady. They're taking on, uh, you know, Leonard Fournette and Chris Godwin and Ronald Jones and um, you Antonio know, Brown, Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski. Like the, you know, it's another team that has a lot of weapons uh, in the Buccaneers and um, and a pretty experienced coach in Bruce Arians. So defensively, Kansas City has to shore it up, uh, especially if they if they want to be considered 
you know, at this point, one of the front runners in the AFC, if not the entire league. Yeah, you know, and, and I do think the Bucks kind of present. I actually think they're a little bit of a better matchup for the, for the Chiefs, um, and particularly that offensive line for the Bucks has has had some struggles this season. So I would look for sure, to, you know, to see that defensive line hopefully have a bounce back game. You know, get to Tom Brady a couple times, but you're right. I think the the defense really. Uh, you know, they need to fix some things and, and and they need to get some guys healthy too. You know, there's some guys out on the defensive line right now. Um, so, you know, they need to get, get some guys healthy and uh, hopefully the defense can continue to compete at a level to, to, to match what the offense is doing because, you know, and we're, it, this is kind of the perfect transition, right? What Patrick Mahomes is doing right now is special. And, and I think it's yeah. almost being underappreciated and, and there's almost, not a lot to talk about really with the offense, right? You know, even after a game winning drive from Patrick Mahomes to, to Travis Kelsey, but it's just so expected now. And and I think that's where, you know, we've talked about this on previous podcasts, but that's where we're at with Pat. And it's, it's a, it's really a special thing to watch. Yeah. You absolutely walk away from this game. Happy. You got the win with, you know, against the Raiders. You're, you're not thrilled about the way that the game played out, uh, but a win's a win. And, I didn't even really, it didn't really even register with me going into this game, how important it was. You know, if, if the Raiders had won the game, they would be a game behind the chiefs and they would have owned the tiebreaker, uh, you know, against Kansas city. So it, it pretty, it was a pretty important game for the chiefs. And the fact that, you know, what they have, what, like a minute 24 left on the clock and, you know, Kansas city was able to march it down and, and Pat was able to find Kelsey to yeah. win the game. Uh, and at that point, you know, it's just, you, you have to tip your cap, you know, like there's really, it is, it just, you're, you're watching excellence. You're watching greatness. We say it every week. You almost run out of things to say uh, about yeah. how special Pat Mahomes is um, and how important he is. The chiefs don't win that game without him. Um, but he is absolutely perf- continuing to perform at an MVP caliber level. And I agree with you. He's being underappreciated right now. Um, But I think that that's just going to continue. Yeah. And it's hard to, I'm standing by my statement, but it's hard to say someone's underappreciated and they're probably the MVP front runner, but I truly feel like he is the MVP front runner and still being underappreciated. I don't know if you caught Tommy on that, that touchdown pass to Travis Kelsey to pretty much seal the game. Um, You know, Pat rolled out to his right and they were play, the Raiders were in a cover four, meaning, you know, the safeties both had, well, safeties in two corners each had a fourth of the field, right? So Pat rolls out to his right and starts to come up to the line. And they're on the, they were on the, what, 25, maybe 30 yard line. Yeah. And the safety who, for some reason, ran up was Jonathan Abram, which I don't know if you've paid enough attention to the Raiders defense to know how annoying that guy is. But the fact that he was the one to blow the coverage uh, when Pat rolled up, I was just so happy. I'm sure there's a lot of Chiefs fans that felt the same. So that was pretty, pretty exciting. Good win for the Chiefs. You're right. Uh, you know, big win just for the AFC West and to continue on if they want to have a shot at that one seed since the Steelers have such a cupcake schedule. Yeah, they, they really do. Um, you know, the Steelers continue to win. They're still undefeated. Um, they do play the Ravens as of right now. Yeah. I know the Ravens are shut down due to COVID, uh, but as of now, the game is still on schedule for Thanksgiving night. Uh, and, and the Ravens do prevent uh, to do present a challenge to Pittsburgh. Uh, so we'll see how that game ends up. The final note with Kansas City, Andy Reid. Uh, I don't know if, if you knew this, this stat or this number coming off a of bye week. Andy Reid is 19 and three in his entire career. He's lost three times in 22 years as a head coach in the NFL. Um, That's not an anomaly. That's not a coincidence. Andy Reid knows how to prepare his team 
coming off a bye week. And even though it was probably a little bit closer than what he would have liked uh, against the Raiders, they were still able to get the win and pad that resume a little bit more for Andy Reid. The other the other stat that I thought was really impressive that I saw on the broadcast, and I don't know the exact numbers, but how Andy Reid is the all-time greatest when it comes to road Win percentage. winning percentage. Yeah. I didn't even know that. I mean, he's higher than Belichick. He's higher than all these other legendary coaches as far as winning on the road. Um, It's just impressive. And uh, you want to talk about a guy who's been underappreciated for a long time uh, is Andy Reid. And um, that other than Bill Belichick, there's not a better coach in the NFL right now than Andy. No, first he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And I I don't think anybody would argue he's going to end his career as, I think, a top five coach of all time. I mean, incredible, incredible career just as of right now from Andy Reid as he continues to build his legacy. Without a doubt, let's go ahead and get into some college football news and talk about the Farmageddon game on Saturday, which uh, ended up not being much of a game at all as the number 17th ranked Iowa State Cyclones destroyed the Kansas State Wildcats by a final score of 45 to zero. This is the second area where you and I, Weston, probably owe an apology uh, because we were both pretty much flat out wrong with this game. I think both you and I said that we thought the Wildcats could hang with the Cyclones. That was absolutely not the case as the Cyclones jumped out to a big lead, never let it go, and the Wildcats never even got on the board. No, uh, you know, in Iowa State, it's just a dang good football team. Brees Hall, 15 carries, 135 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, the Wildcats just had no answer for him, but not many teams have had an answer for for Brees Hall all season. Um, You know, I think I think really just uh, obviously us included, Tommy, a lot of people are just underestimating how good this six and two Iowa state football team is. I, I think they've, you know, it's too bad. They've, they kind of faltered early on in their season and they, you know, they could have really surprised some people and, and won the big 12, I think. Yeah. Uh, and you know, like you mentioned, Brees hall with, with two touchdowns, 135 yards on the ground. That, that kid is special. Brock Purdy yeah. only threw the ball 20 times. He threw for 236 yards and three touchdowns uh, in that game. Very efficient passing for the Cyclones quarterback. And just, you know, every every phase of the football, the Cyclones just outclassed the Wildcats. Uh, so taking a look at the Big 12 standings, of course, Iowa State in the lead. They are 6-1 and one in the conference, 6-2 and two overall. Oklahoma had a pretty decisive win against the Cowboys in Bedlam with Oklahoma State uh, on Saturday. So Oklahoma moves to 5-2 and two in conference. The Longhorns uh, of Texas are 4-2 and two along with Oklahoma State. They're 4-2 and two as well. This is going to drop the Wildcats all the way down to uh, four and three in the conference and four and four overall. When you're assessing this Wildcat season right now, you know, it wasn't that long ago. It was just a couple of weeks ago that we were talking about the Wildcats in the lead for the Big 12. They faltered a little bit in recent weeks. How do you assess where K-State is right now? Well, you know, I I think this is something I kind of mentioned in the beginning. I think they just have a lot of young talent, and I think middle of the road is, uh, you know, that shouldn't be too disappointing. I mean, I know K-State fans don't want to hear that, but look at the young talent you have. It's incredibly promising, but you're just – the Big 12 is not a conference that you're going to take a freshman quarterback and a freshman running back and 
just run through the league. It's just not going to happen in the Big 12. It's too talented of a conference. Um, so, you know, I think for K-State fans, they really ought to focus on on the talent that they have and, and what you can see for the future. And I know that sucks because you just everybody wants to win now, and I get it. You know, I mean, as KU fans, Tommy, we're ready to win now. We don't want to rebuild, and, and not that K-State's rebuilt, rebuilding, but, um, you know, I, I just – you know, four and four and, and they've been competitive. They've been a dang good football team other than this pretty embarrassing loss to Iowa state. So, you know, I think they uh, probably are where a lot of folks would expect they were knowing that the, that Will Howard was going to play without Skylar Thompson. So that's kind of the thing. And, you know, in my estimation. Yeah. And there could be a little bit of a quarterback controversy for the Wildcats moving forward. You know, Will Howard was roughed up, you know, pretty big time uh, against the Cyclones, really could never get it going. Uh, and, and so at one point during the game, you know, Chris Kleiman pulled Will Howard and put in Nick Ost uh, to, to, to play the, the QB position for uh, K-State on Saturday. So um, not exactly sure what might happen in the coming weeks, uh, but it, it could be either Nick Ost or Will Howard, I guess, moving forward. We're not exactly sure about that from Chris Kleiman. But yeah, Will Howard was only three of nine for 32 yards and an interception before he was pulled right before uh, halftime. Um, And then Nick Ost was six for 10 when he came in, but he only threw for 44 yards. So neither one of them really did great, Uh, but it'll be interesting to see who Chris Kleiman goes with moving forward. Yeah, hopefully he doesn't uh, make the old less miles decision and go with the dual quarterback system. Not uh, we're you know we're going to go with the hot hand system. Tommy and I we've uh, we have spoke our minds to to a two quarterback system <laughs> enough that the, I'm sure our listeners do not want to hear it again. Yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say that you and I are are not fans of of that system at all. The Wildcats travel on the road to Waco to take on the Baylor Bears this Saturday. Uh, That game time is at 6 p.m. We mentioned it uh, last week on the program that the, the Jayhawks and the Longhorns we're not playing because of COVID issues. Uh, so taking a look at the Jayhawks schedule, they're on as of right now to take on TCU at home in Lawrence this Saturday night at 7 p.m. No word on uh, what might be happening with that game, although I do know that Les Miles mentioned in his weekly radio show uh, that as of right now, it looked like the Jayhawks were good to go as far as health is concerned to play the game this weekend against TCU. So as of right now, a couple of games on the schedule one for the Wildcats and one for the Jayhawks. Hopefully better fortunes for both teams as we get to this weekend. Let's go ahead and get into our Wichita whip around right now on Keeper of the Games. And we're going to start with some really, really big breaking news in the uh, in the state high school sports, especially here in the Wichita Metro. So uh, on Tuesday, the Keisha uh, Board of Directors met and they approved winter high school sports in the state to begin as scheduled, but without fans. Uh, So they approved that calendar on Tuesday. The final vote count was 53-4 and 22 against. So the vote allows competition to begin on December 1st for winter sports and resume after the winter break on January 8th. Uh, Practices can then begin again on January 4th and middle school activities will be on that same plan. No spectators allowed from the beginning until January 28th. Uh, There was an amendment on there to allow two spectators per participant, but that was voted down. But I think the big news there, Weston, 
uh, that I think everybody can be happy about is the fact that winter sports will at least go on as scheduled, although there will be no fans. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I think I said last time, I think I was I was kind of on, on the fence about this. I was fine with them, them delaying the start of the season as long as it's just delayed, uh, you know, just to make sure that those kids don't ultimately lose games because people are testing positive and, and getting canceled. You know, ultimately, it's about getting those games played. So but I guess on the other hand, you certainly think, look, if they if they delay that start of the season, you know those you know boys and girls playing high school basketball they're going to be getting together and practicing whether it's sanctioned or not you know so you might as well just have you know a coach someone watching over them trying to implement the, the best safety that they can so i'm glad everybody gets to play and ultimately i think keeping the games going is is the right decision well and i think about basketball you know high school basketball around the state um you know they had their season cut short there was no state championship, you yeah. know, for basketball last year because of COVID when everything kind of broke down and the whole thing got canceled. But then fall sports got to play. Football is going to get to have its entire season. Yeah. It would have been a shame for winter sports to be delayed again just based on the timing of everything. So I think the most important thing, I know that parents are going to be disappointed that they can't go and watch. Yeah. We talked about this at the very beginning of the football season about how it was a bummer that you weren't going to be able to have fans there and that sort of thing. But the most important thing is the kids get to play uh, and they're going to get a chance to do so. I think that's great. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, and I know we've we've hashed this all over when we talked about, um, you know, USD 259's decision to, to cancel uh, football earlier in the season or I guess fall sports. But, you know, and just giving those kids you know opportunity to have tape out there for college recruitment and and really to get to live out their, you know, their senior season, which may, you know, in their sports career altogether, I think is 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 a fantastic decision. So glad to see these guys playing and really, in my opinion, also good to see Keisha put forth a, a full process to hear everyone out, make a good informed decision. Um, you know, like we felt that the USC 259 was not affording those those students when that decision came down in the fall. And they opened up the meeting to the public on, I think it was on Zoom. And so anybody could join and ask questions and that sort of thing. So uh, yeah, Keisha, very transparent through the process. Uh, and they listened to as many people as they could and and made a, made a decision that they, based, that they thought was based off of health and safety and, and still being able to get the competition in. So that's the news that winter sports around the state and in the Wichita area will begin as scheduled. Let's talk about state football playoffs. Uh, we've been talking about this the last few weeks and updating you as the weeks go on about what teams are moving on, what teams are going home. In Weston, we now have our state championship games set and ready to go for this weekend. Let's start in 6A in the substate round. Derby put on a convincing victory against Junction City by a score of 62 to 27. We've talked multiple times about the monkey on their back, the challenges that they've had this season, um, but you wouldn't know it by looking at them and watching them play football right now as they move on to the state championship round. They will take on Blue Valley North, who defeated Olathe North uh, last weekend by a score of 30 to 20. So it'll be Derby and Blue Valley North in the, in the 6A state championship game. Yeah, once you uh, start getting into you know the Blue Valley school system, they produce some pretty high-end Division One athletes year in and year out, it feels like. So this would be by far, I mean, it's obviously it's a state championship game, but Derby's got their work cut out for them. But boy, they feel it feels like Derby is rolling just at the right time. 
Yeah, they've got the momentum right now for sure. They've you know gotten all the negative stuff out of the way early on in the season, and and they are on their way uh, to what could be another six A state championship uh, for the Panthers in five A. Your boys at Wichita Northwest got the victory against Bishop Carroll last week, forty one to twenty one. Hats off to Bishop Carroll and the the run that they had, uh, and, and an even you know stronger hats off to Wichita Northwest as they won the Battle of Tyler Road. They will move on to the 5A state championship game, taking on Mill Valley, who defeated Aquinas by a final score of 42-7 in Substate. Mill Valley, by the way, if you'll remember, is the team that defeated Derby back at the very beginning of the season. Now they will face Wichita Northwest in the 5A championship game. Yeah, Mill Valley, another one of those you know perennial powerhouses up here in the uh, the Johnson County area um you know I, I think if i remember right so and i probably should have this in front of me but i think mill valley their starting quarterback or running back it got injured in the beginning of the season and was out for the season so i don't know what kind of depth they have um you know northwest maybe not looking at the full strength of mill valley but still always incredible talent coming out of mill valley northwest will have the work cut out for them Taking a look at 4A, uh, shout out to Arkansas City. They beat McPherson in a, in a nail biter. Final score of that game, 28 to 27. And then on the other side of the bracket in 4A, St. James beat Mich- uh, Bishop Miage in overtime by a final score of 36 35. So two one point games to determine who will be going to the state championship game in 4A. It's going to be Arkansas City and St. James. I want to talk about Ark City. I know that they're. They're, they're not really in the Wichita metro. They're about an hour outside of Wichita. But Arc, Va- or Arc City, I don't know if you knew this, they entered the playoffs with a record of two and six. That's the record when they entered the playoffs. They are now six and six. They've won four games in a row, and they're going to the state championship game in 4A. What in the world is going on with 4A? Is, is Arc City rolling, or do we have some weird weird stuff going on in the 4A playoffs? That's incredible. Bishop Miege is one of those teams that, you know, I know when Andel was in, in 4A, struggled being able to compete with them a, a couple years in a row. Um, so the fact that St. James knocked them off, you know, I, I think that Arc, Arc City might be looking at, uh, you know, a pretty good matchup here. Yeah, you know, Arc, Arc City is playing with house money, you know, right now for sure. Yeah. Uh, this is the furthest that they've gotten in the playoffs in over 30 years. Wow. And making it to the 4A state championship game. Again, they'll be taking on St. James uh, in the championship. And then in 3A. I mean, what can you say? Your boys from Andale, the Indians, a pretty convincing win against Collegiate by a final score of 49 to zero uh, as they defeated uh, Wichita Collegiate uh, in the sub-state round. They will take on Perry LeCompton, who defeated Holton last week by a score of 22 to nine. So we'll see the Andale Indians uh, in the 3A state championship game. And, And Weston, it seems like there are only a few things that are for sure in this life. Death, taxes, and Andale in the 3A state championship game. Yeah, I mean, big shout out to Coach Schmidt, Coach Fairchild. Coach Fairchild was there uh, when I was playing, and, and he's pretty much run such an incredible tight tight ship defense for Andale for, for years now, uh, throwing another shutout uh, last week against Wichita Collegiate. Um, you know, and, and Andale's going to run that football. That's what they've done, uh, you know, for as long as I can remember. Before, before uh, when I was there, it was Coach O'Hare, and then C- Coach Schmidt now, it was Coach Paul Schmidt before the current current coach Schmidt show uh, run the football. That's what Andel does, and, and hopefully going to bring home another state championship. 
Yeah, so again, they will take on Perry LeCompton in the state championship game this weekend. In 2A, it's going to be Hoisington and Rossville in the state championship game. 1A, you've got Oakley taking on Olpe, which I just think is a lot of fun to say. Oakley and Olpe in 1A. And then in 8-man Division 1, it'll be Little River taking on Wichita County in the championship game. And 8-man Division 2 will be Hanover taking on St. Francis. So the, the bracket has gotten all the way down to the state championship game. And how big of a of a relief is it for all of these teams that we were able to get through a full season and pretty much a full playoff bracket? I know we had, I think, one forfeit due to COVID, and that was Dodge City yeah. uh, early on in the bracket. But really being able to get through the entire bracket and get an entire season under uh, in the books. I mean, I that's just huge. You know, hats off to, to all these coaches for, you know, for running pretty tight ship programs. And of course, hat, hats off to the players. You know, they must have been doing the right things in order to keep themselves, you know, safe and healthy and, and the other teams and players safe and healthy. So hats off to, re to really everyone involved. We'll have an update on who the state champions will be in each class next week on Keeper of the Games. That's going to wrap things up for our Wichita Whip Around. Let's get right into our Finally Funny. We're going back and talking more Kansas City Chiefs and their matchup against the Raiders on Sunday night. And Weston, you've got some pretty hilarious news about that. Yeah, so I've, I've actually, I told you before the show I had one Finally Funny. I actually got two, Tommy. Um, so I uh, I don't know if, did you get a chance to see Barstool Sports uh, tweeted a picture? Did you see the picture of Derek Carr on the sideline? He had his like face down, looked like he was glaring, and it looked like he had his eyeliner on like he always does. Yeah. They tweeted uh, they tweeted out that picture with when Sephora runs out of eyeliner, and then the picture of Derek Carr, <laughs> which is good. So I'll retweet that to the, the Keeper of the Game uh, account. So By the way, he looked like uh, he, he was auditioning for a role in Twilight as far as I was concerned. Yeah, or like, uh, you know, every, you know, early 2000s pop rock band that we all listen yeah. to. Uh, same same thing. Maybe he's Blink-182 Blink or something. Um, yeah. And then the other finally funny uh, defensive lineman, Kalen Saunders, uh, you know, as we've talked many a times about the whole victory lap bus situation leading up to the Raiders game. After the game, Kalen Saunders tweeted, no need for a victory lap. We'll just take being undefeated at the beautiful, newly built, state-of-the-art Allegiant Stadium, which I thought was just <laughs> a perfect seal, you know, to kind of end that whole drama saga situation. So shout out to, to Kalen Saunders for uh, – oh, wait, sorry. It's Callen Saunders. He, his Twitter candle is even – is Callen, not Kalen. That's literally what his Twitter handle is. It's it's Colin Saunders. So shout you out. Still gotta, you still yeah, got it wrong. Kalen, Kalen. Callan, Jesus, Callan, Callan, yeah, Callan you'll Saunders. get it, you'll get it right eventually. Oh, I would, I would Callan imagine. Saunders, got it. Yeah, <laughs> that's our finally funny here on Keeper of the Games, and that's going to wrap up this episode. Uh, of just again, a, a huge thank you to Gary Bedore from the Kansas City Star joining us here on the podcast to talk about KU basketball. Again, as of right now, as we're recording this. The Jayhawks uh, will, they're scheduled to play the Gonzaga Bulldogs on Thanksgiving in the Fort Myers tip off. Uh, so hopefully that happens and we get a chance to see KU hoops on Thanksgiving. But a special thanks again to Gary Bedore for taking time out of his busy schedule to talk to us about all things KU basketball. And, um, you know, Weston, uh, you know, Thanksgiving right around the corner. You guys have big plans. You doing anything? No, uh, nope. It'll just be pretty much. My immediate family is pretty much, you know, all we're doing. We've uh, we've kind of decided to hold off on the big stuff this year. I mean, that not 
COVID aside, we've, uh, my, my grandma's kind of got some, some health issues. So we're all kind of decided, Hey, let's, let's let grandma, you know, stay away from everybody and we'll just do stuff individually this year. So that's it. That's all we got. Well, well, good deal. Yeah. We're doing the same thing. We just kind of our immediate family and, uh, not doing anything big with extended family this year. It's just, it's going to be better to keep it small and keep it safe. And, uh, and then hopefully we'll get a chance to have big celebrations, uh, here in no time. That's, that's the goal for sure. Now I will say we're actually celebrating, you know, Thanksgiving with my parents and then my sister and her husband on Friday, because my sister's going to her in-laws on Thanksgiving. So on Thanksgiving, uh, we're going to carry on the tradition of steaks giving, which is something my wife and I had started when she was always on call on Thanksgiving and it was just her and I. Um, so we're going to do, do steaks on Thanksgiving and I'm really pushing this steaks giving thing. I think it's, uh, I think it's better than Turkey. I, I mean, unpopular opinion, but give me a steak over a Turkey leg any day. You know, you could always trademark that term and, uh, and, and, you know, cause Friendsgiving is a really big thing now. So yeah. you can take stakesgiving and maybe be like a billionaire because of that idea. I, hey, Tommy, I'm I'm all in and I'm all I'm you know what I'm happy to even just give it to the world if we as a society can embrace stakesgiving, steaks on Thanksgiving. Come on, folks. Turkey's not the best food we have in America. Let's put forth our best efforts. A big old ribeye on Thanksgiving Day just would be perfect with a day full of football and friends and family. I don't think that's a bad idea. I'm not going <laughs> to argue with that. I'm not even going to blow the hot take horn because I think that's a that's something that I could definitely get behind. And I think a lot of other red-blooded American males yes. could get behind that uh, as well. want to remind you all to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode of the podcast, you will get a notification. Again, you can listen on platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, all the major platforms you can listen to Keeper of the Games right there. Of course, you can go to our website, cogsports.com, kogsports.com, and watch archived episodes uh, and a whole lot more right there on our new website. You can, again, watch full episodes on YouTube and Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's at K-O-G-Pod. We're thankful for all of you for listening, and uh, we'll be back with a, a new episode uh, in a week or so. And uh, so with that, Weston, happy Thanksgiving, man. Yeah, thanks. Same to you, Tommy, and, and hope our uh, our fans enjoyed a little bit of the extra long episode here as they've got hopefully plenty of time uh, off work over the next you know four or five days or so and can enjoy some of our, our content. Absolutely. Hope you all have an awesome Thanksgiving and we'll be back with another episode soon. For Weston Mills, I'm Tommy Castor. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor and Weston Mills. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod. 